0: morning, we're back in 2 Samuel. David, of course, is now king. The nation of Israel is united. The city of David, Jerusalem, has been established as Israel's capital. The Ark of the Covenant has now been brought into the city, placed in a tent that David has prepared, not without some, uh, some trouble, though David and the priests worked through that. Today's message, though, opens up with uh, David in Israel experiencing a season of peace rest you might say and in that place of of relative success well the king gets an idea something that he wants to do for God and as as we get started I just wonder not going to ask for a show of hands but have you ever had something that you really wanted to do for God? Something that you were just passionate about, it was on your heart? Or something that you felt that that he'd, he'd called you to, some vision God gave you? Maybe Maybe a job that he thought you wanted, you thought that he wanted you to have. Might have been a relationship. Maybe something that you wanted to buy. Maybe it was some purchase of some sort whatever it was it didn't work out the door's closed right in front of you the thing that you so wanted never came together anybody ever experienced that before it's happened in my life many times god just had something different in mind than what i believed he was thinking and leading me toward accepting that can be a hard lesson to learn can't it being okay with that. And often that's the case because we've gotten to a place where we're so sure that we heard from the Lord. We knew God was in it. We knew he was telling us to do it. But the truth is that sometimes we don't know what God is telling us or even what we're supposed to do or sure that we're supposed to do. This is the lesson that David is learning this morning in chapter 7 of Second Samuel and where we're going in our message today. We're looking at chapter 7, verses 1 through 29, and our message is titled, Passion is Not Permission. What we wish is not always God's will for our lives, have you discovered? The thing that we have prayed for isn't necessarily what God has purposed for our lives, Being passionate about something doesn't mean that God is directing or giving you permission to do or to pursue that thing. Just because you're excited about it, just because it's even a good thing, biblical in some cases and right, doesn't mean that God intends for you to do it, to live or experience it. Chapter 7 It teaches us a couple of very important things about this. First of all, we need to learn to hear God just as clearly when he says no as when he says yes. And secondly, we need to learn to accept that, as disappointing as it may be. We need to learn to trust him, to walk in contentment, and to embrace what he does have for us because whenever God says no to one thing whenever he takes something away whenever he closes a door (laughs) as 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 sister Mary or or whatever her name was from sound of music says he always opens a window right you know there may not be an option b necessarily but sometimes it's that God is saying we'll appreciate what I am doing appreciate what I've given you Maria that was her name We'll move on from the von Traps here. All right. we're going to look at verses one through three. Leave Rogers and Hammerstein for another morning. Let's pray that would be a good moment to do that, and we'll start with our first point. Oh God, we need your help. We pray that you would speak to us, Lord. From your word, would you cause this book to live to us and us to it? Father, that, that you would cause our the, the soil of our hearts, God to be ready, open? God, that we would receive the seed and the working of your word by your Holy Spirit. Show us those, those wonderful things that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, our first few verses this morning, we're looking at this idea of getting ahead of ourselves. Because sometimes we do that. Verse 1, now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house, that is David, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, see now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, go and do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. King David, while in the midst of this season of of peace, he's he's established the city of David, Jerusalem, it'll be named. It's a good time. God's given him rest from all his enemies all around. He's probably strolling through the city, and he sees the tabernacle, the tent, in which the the Ark of the Covenant now rests, looks at that tent, and, and maybe from the window of his own palace... He has an idea. The ark needs a permanent home. Maybe he feels a little bit ashamed. I mean, here he is. He's, he's got this great place. And he's, he's looking at this, this tent that's maybe flapping a little bit in the wind. David determines he's got the time. He's got the resources. Now he's going to build something more permanent for the ark of God. He doesn't say that here explicitly. We don't don't read that language, but it's implied and based on the rest of the chapter. That is exactly what he has planned. That's what he told Nathan. I'm in a house of cedar. God needs one too. In fact, during his years of exile... Wandering in the desert, he'd written a song of worship about his intent to do this very thing one day. Psalm 132, verse 4. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. So David feels this is the best time. The ark's already there. Uh, now it's time to finish the job by replacing the tent with something more permanent, a temple. But first, David goes to his his trusted advisor and friend, the prophet Nathan. And that's a great idea, by the way. Run things by a friend who loves the Lord before you embark on some new uh, journey of faith, some new work. We've not met Nathan before. Previously, Gad was the prophet that David had worked with in his time of wandering in the desert. But now this Nathan enters the scene. And Nathan, seemingly without giving it much thought, he answers David, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Now, David's idea wasn't bad to build a temple for the Ark of the Covenant, for for God's presence and glory to dwell in, for the people to gather together and worship God at. It needed to be done, in fact. And we're going to find that God actually wanted this done. But have you noticed that no one's seeking God about this decision and idea? And, and we've kind of picked up on that as we've studied through First and Second Samuel. Times and points where we see David or somebody else running out to do something and skipping that important step of waiting on the Lord and asking God, what exactly are your thoughts about this? What's your plan, God? Instead, there's this assumption that God is going to be on board. Well, they should have waited on God, but that's okay because God is going to clarify things for them momentarily. He's faithful to do that when we get ahead of him, isn't he? God has a way of making his way known to us when we get a little too excited, when we start down a road that he doesn't want us to, he'll make it clear. He'll close doors. We have to learn, though, to stop (laughs) And, and not bloody our knuckles, forcing ways open that he's telling us not to go through. I think it's especially tricky to be discerning When a friend loves the Lord, is passionate about him, and really wants to serve him, and comes to us the way David came to Nathan. You and I have to be careful ourselves about being too quick to encourage a brother or sister like Nathan was guilty of, on a path that may seem good and right, but on which God is not calling them. Have you ever found yourself in that place before where somebody came to you and said, hey, I'm really excited about this. Hey, I think God's doing this. Hey, this is something I'm going to do. And they're real excited about it, and they're real fired up about it, and they love the Lord. And it's not a bad thing. So without really thinking about it, you just kind of affirm them. Anybody ever do that? Raise your hand so I can ask you to leave. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. I've done it. Nobody wants to be that that wet blanket for Jesus. But if I can just say, we need to be willing to. Nathan's going to have to be in a moment. We as God's people, we need to learn to slow down. And sometimes we need to help others slow down. Pray, think, wait. Wait. Don't assume or presume and find yourself guilty of encouraging someone in something simply because it sounds good, but may actually be contrary to what God wants. Paul, in giving Timothy lots of advice about pastoring and leadership, he warns him in 1 Timothy 5, verse 22. Some of you will remember this passage. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. Paul says, be careful, Timothy. Don't go just anointing anybody who walks up. Don't just pray without asking some questions and getting to know the person and their situation a little bit. It may be that God has something to say through you after you've listened for a moment or two. In some cases, there's, there's more to the circumstances than meets the eye. Uh, In supporting an idea, we may well in our haste be partnering in sin. Now, for David and Nathan, it it, it wasn't yet sin. Had David disobeyed God, it would have become that very quickly. But in other cases, there's, there's far more going on often than we can see with the natural eye. Sometimes a decision is simply not what God wants. Sometimes the timing is wrong. The person may think they're ready when in actuality, they're not. And like the passage in Timothy, there are those times when the person is outside of the will of God and possibly even in sin. We need to be careful of this. Don't be afraid to be that, that voice of questioning, that, that speed bump for the Lord, not talking about hyper-negativity, just learning to use discernment. Better that than, than to fall into the error of Nathan that we've seen here saying, go for it when God's actually saying no, because the cost at times can be great. So let's see exactly what happens next, what God has to say about this plan of David to build the temple for the ark. Verses 4 through, I think, 17 is where we're going. We find confront, excuse me, uh, confrontation, correction, and encouragement. And right away, God confronts Nathan. Verse 4. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, Go and tell my servant David. Thus says the Lord. Would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt even to this day. But I have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? The record in Chronicles is more blunt. God woke Nathan and told him in First 1 Chronicles 17.4, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, You shall not build me a house to dwell in. Don't do it. And I'm sure the moment Nathan woke up receiving this vision from the Lord, his heart sank as he realized, Oh, bummer, that's exactly what I told David he could do and should do. And the Lord's telling me to tell him, No. Has that ever happened to you, by the way? What happened to Nathan? It has to me. Late at night, suddenly you, you start to think about something you did or said earlier in the day. Maybe you wake up in the middle of the night and, and process back through something. And as you reflect on it, the Holy Spirit convicts you, speaks to your heart that you handled that thing wrong. You were hasty, angry, angry said something you shouldn't have, or you got ahead of God in some way. And that's what happened to Nathan here. God confronts the prophet. He basically tells Nathan to go back to David, and this time, rather than simply affirm his his desires and dreams, to challenge him. Ask questions on God's behalf. That's a great example, by the way, in these kinds of situations. We tend not to... Ask questions. Would you build a house for me to dwell in? And do do you know, I've actually preferred mobility, David. Have you noticed that? That's why I had the children of Israel build a a tent and, and not a temple up until this point. Did I ever ask you why have you not built me a house of cedar? It's easy to imagine God's voice being angry here with Nathan or directing him to be angry toward David. But I don't think he necessarily is. I think he wants David and Nathan to think this through, to learn. David's heart wasn't actually wrong, but his head was. He 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 isn't being chastised for this idea. He's just being redirected when we purpose to do something for the lord we should check first to make sure that he actually wants us to do it because sometimes even things that seem like no-brainers are actually not what he's calling us to do proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 through 6 is a great standby passage to remember Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Right away, the Bible takes our our number one resource away from us. No, it doesn't mean God doesn't want us to think or use our brains. but, But God's saying, please do not exclusively rely on those brains, which are limited and which tend to rely on your own experiences and your own sense that you know. Instead, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. God's saying to us, instead of thinking you can figure it out yourself, learn to instinctively pull back and ask God, and ask again, and, and wait a little bit, and maybe ask some other people too. We need to learn to slow down, to wait, and ask. Sometimes when we've experienced a degree of success, maybe even maturity in our walk with the Lord, it makes us think we don't have to go through this process anymore. That we just know. God's clarifying for David here that he does not know. And we don't know either. God then instructs Nathan to correct the wrong direction he'd given David, redirecting him Verse 8, now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts. God's going to give David a little bit of a history lesson here, personal and, and national. I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth." Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them anymore as previously. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. And then God tells David through Nathan, also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. God is very gracious in his correction of David. He isn't harsh. And again, David's heart was in the right place. But God does take the opportunity to walk the king through a reminder as to how he'd worked in his life, reminding him of his place, where he'd come from. Everything David had and experienced, all the blessings were because of God's good hand upon his life. He tells him in verse 8, I took you from the sheepfold. David, (laughs) I didn't ask you to build me a house. You actually didn't ask me if I wanted one. David, do you remember where you came from? Let's let's not forget, David, you need to be waiting on me and asking me even about good things. Because my plans might be different than yours. His ways, they're not our ways, are they? God thinks he acts, he operates, and plans very differently than you and I. So differently that that we need to consult his word, and we need to consult him and give him the opportunity to show us what he wants to do. From this gentle rebuke of David, the Lord then pronounces a blessing greater than he could have ever imagined. Though it would not be for David to build him a house or a permanent temple for the Ark of the Covenant, for the presence and glory of God, God was going to build a house for David. Now, David already had a palace, of course, but God was speaking of something far greater, as we'll see. David would inherit an enduring legacy through his family, a royal lineage that would not only impact and bless Israel, but as we'll see in a moment, the entire world. Now God encourages David further, expanding and explaining what this means What house he'll be building for him. Verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, what we're seeing here and what we're reading is a prophetic promise that David is essentially inheriting from Abraham. And it'll have a near and a far fulfillment. We're going to see some of this come to pass in David's immediate family and and through the royal line that will proceed from his house that would actually continue for almost 400 years. But there's something far greater here as well, obviously. God, of course, is speaking of the Messiah, the anointed one who will be savior and deliverer of Israel. God had told Abraham back in chapter 12, verse 2, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It would be clarified that this blessing would come through a son, David's son, a descendant of Abraham, and his son Isaac. Verse 14, God says, I will be his father and he shall be my son, This son of David that's coming. The prophet Isaiah would one day write of the Messiah, of course, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. Jesus, remember his words to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God is speaking of that son to David right in this moment. And the irony of it is, is it's in a moment when David's getting ahead of himself, when he's running the risk of getting out in front of God. I love that, that even in the place of correction, God brings blessing and reminds of his promises and faithfulness. And I hope you found that to be true. Because I think as we read this and and as we recognize that God, he's not in the face of David doing something that God doesn't want him to do. God's not raining down curses on David. He's not angry. He's not hurling lightning bolts. So far, everybody's listening to the Lord. He's reminding him of his greater promises. He's telling him, I know you want to do something great for me, but I, I first want you to slow down a minute and I want to let you know The greater things that I'm going to do for you. And I think that's something that we have to keep in mind, especially when we have something we think we want to do for God and God says, no, I have something different. But I want to remind you of everything that I've given and I'm going to give you. The many ways that that I want to bless you. Now, while the messianic aspects of fulfillment were many years off still, the promise will also find fulfillment in the near term through David's son Solomon. If he commits iniquity, of course, that's not referring to the Messiah. It's referring to those kings that would come in David's line. I will chasten him with the rods of men and with the blows of the sons of men, but my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. The kingly line through Saul was broken through his disobedience, but God says, I'm going to be merciful to the kings that come from your loins, David. It couldn't all be realized through Solomon, of course, not by a long shot. Verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Only through Jesus could this be made so. However painful the news was to David's heart of not being permitted to build the temple, he had to be overwhelmed now by this house that God was going to build for him. It's hard to have your dreams crushed, to be told no. But David's reaction is exactly what God wanted. Our final point this morning, the right response. Verse 17, according to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. Honestly, we could, we could close the book and say, that's it right there. But the Lord has more for us because he's recorded more that we want to look at. How did David react to, to what would have been extremely disappointing? he went and he sat before the Lord. And he said, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God, and you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of man, O Lord God? God, your ways are so much greater than ours. What are you doing, God? I just, I I wanted to do something for you, and I see now that that's not your plan, but that you would do so much more for me. David's beside himself. Verse 17, so Nathan spoke to David because David was willing to hear him. Are you and I, are you and I willing to hear those Nathans? in our lives, the voices that maybe we might construe as being negative, maybe might be redirecting us from something we're excited about or think God's in? Are our ears open to hear the voice of the one who disagrees with us or tells us what we don't want to hear? Proverbs 27, verse 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. David chose perspective. He chose to trust God. He determined that God's plan was better than his. And so after being told no, after having the door shut in his face, rather than pout complain or argue with God for how many of us does that categorize our our reaction when some of us for goodness sakes it, it becomes the definition of who we are because of something God's taken away or said no to instead of pouting complaining or arguing with God he went in and he sat before him he humbled himself wow good job David David couldn't believe that while God did not want him to build a temple, he did want to further bless and use him to make his his family that line through which the entire world would be blessed. And by the way, have you noticed that God never explains to David why? Why? Now, some of you Bible scholars, you know that David finds out later, but we're not given any indication that he finds out in this moment. God didn't tell Nathan why David wasn't supposed to build the temple. He only told him to say, no, not you. David shares the reason why when he commissions his son Solomon to build the temple. But here, David simply had to be content to trust God. That he knew better that his word was enough. This is going to happen in our lives. God's going to give you a no for which you may never receive the full explanation. Will you trust him? Now, you'll find a dozen people who think they all know why, won't you? Right? We all know who those people are. They, they're going to figure it out. They know. Well, let me tell you, this is, this is what God's doing. But more often than not, that is a waste of time. God is more concerned with us trusting and obeying than figuring it out. Some things we'll never know. Stop trying to figure it out. And God's people, the figure-outers, please stop trying to come up with reasons for other people. You're not God. You don't know. Please quit offering guesses that may serve to confuse things, more than anything else now David goes on just reflecting on God's goodness to him and Israel verse 20 now what more can David say to you for you Lord God know your servant for your word's sake and according to your own heart you have done all these great things to make your servant know them David's praising God for for choosing him and even giving him the capacity to understand God's goodness toward him he goes further to praise God for his gracious choosing of Israel. Verse 22. Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel? The one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for himself a name and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land. Before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, the nation, and their gods. Verse 24, for you have made your people Israel, your very own people forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. Just as David had been chosen from the fields watching sheep, he knew the nation itself wasn't anything special in and of themselves apart from God's choosing. In fact, God had told them that in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a special people for himself. A people for himself. A special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Why? We might ask. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least of all peoples but because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers. I love that. Why does God choose us? And we don't know. We do know it's because he loves us. We need to remember that in our lives, that God's chosen us apart from our doing simply because of his mercy. Now, David ends this worshipful response to God by essentially agreeing and receiving God's word and promises. Verses 25 through 29, now, O Lord God, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as you have said. So let your name be magnified forever, saying, the Lord of hosts is the God over Israel, and let The house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this goodness to your servant. Now, therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant that it may continue before you forever. For you, O Lord God, have spoken it, and with your blessing let the house of your servant be blessed forever. Do you know that in this prayer that David offers in response to the Lord, he he refers to himself as servant no less than ten times. God began by reminding him that he brought him from the sheepfold. And David, as he's speaking to the Lord, tells him, I know and I remember. I'm just your servant, Lord. I'm just a shepherd. Rather than fixate on what is being taken away, David chooses to trust and worship God, thanking him for all that he has given David's choosing faith in God's greater purposes that he will provide for, bless, and use David in those ways that he knows best. I know for each of us, this truth, this biblical reality, it it applies in different ways. It hits home in different respects for each of us. Something God's called you to give up. Something God's told you to walk away from. Something God simply hasn't provided yet. A door he hasn't opened. A door that he's closed. Something he's told you to open your hands and let go of. There really is a danger that our lives would become defined, as I said earlier, by our refusal to accept and trust God with that lack with that different path, with that redirection. But the tragedy is that we miss out on what God has given us and what He does want to do. I really think it comes down to First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. One of what I believe are the, 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 the keys, the secret to the fulfilled Christian life. Paul writes to Timothy, Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. There is so much in this life that we are never going to understand. But to the degree that we can begin to learn, you don't have to understand it completely. You don't have to have perfect faith. But just in simple mustard seed faith saying, God, I'm choosing to put that in your hands. I'm not going to carry that anymore. I want to trust you. Learning contentment. Learning that God is good to me. Even even where he's not doing what I think he should be. In me, through me, to me. There's great gain to be had there. Because in giving up what we don't understand, we gain everything God wants to give us but he can't fill hands that are full of things that we're trying to hold on to that he's told us to let go of. we got to put it down first. David could have thrown a fit. He could have demanded an answer. He could have devolved into bitterness. He chose joy. He determined to turn his eyes to God and worship. He graciously and humbly accepted God's no. Believing what God did have for him was far better and of course it was. And I think God was able to bless David and work through him because he accepted God's nose. When we can't again, we hinder God's working in our lives. Instead focused on bitterness, jealousy, and frustration. I remember when I graduated from Bible college, I was bitter against the Lord because I had a specific way I wanted to serve him. And God said, no. To this day, he's continued to say no. He had something different. I invested years of my life in a direction that God turned me away from. But I remember the point I came to when I released that to the Lord in brokenness. Say, God, I'll trust you. (laughs) And in my case, it isn't always this way, but it wasn't a long time after that that all of a sudden the Lord began to fill my hands with what he did have for me. David chose to see where God was saying yes and focus his energies and his heart there. He's calling you and I to do the same, to thank God for the yeses and to trust him with the noes.